Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Our text tonight is one verse, verse 17, but don't get excited. We've got a lot of verses to go with it. Dealing with discontentment. Let me give you a pop quiz real quick. Who wrote the letter to the, to the church of Corinth? Say it out loud when I hear you. Paul, oh, okay, just so you know, all right? Now, you, you, you need to be on the alert because uh, I may have a pop quiz any time, all right? But Paul did write this letter. Look what he says in verse 17, 1 Corinthians 7. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I appreciate the Apostle Paul. And in my opinion, and that doesn't matter too much, I realize that. But the greatest teacher other than the Lord Jesus Christ. A man who suffered probably more than anyone that we know of uh, in the Scriptures other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But also understand we're talking about a man here... Uh, and, and I hesitate to even say, you know, Paul wrote this or uh, Luke wrote this because God's word is inspired. It is all the word of God. But I do want to say, and that's why I emphasize that Paul did write this letter. And Paul is writing not only on inspiration, he knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to suffer for the cause of Christ. He knows what it's like to go through difficult times. Uh, a couple of years ago, Jeremy and I were talking about Paul's testimony in the book of Corinthians and think he had gone through. And i got to tell you, when I read that list, it makes me ashamed of myself. The things that he suffered all for the cause of Christ. And yet, uh, even this morning, as Jeremy read, I think from Philippians, uh, Paul was talking about you know, moving on and forgetting those things behind. No matter what you read in Paul's letter, even the letter he wrote to Timothy, uh, sort of his goodbye letter, you never hear Paul being discontented. Somehow, in some way, with God's help, Paul had learned the secret of contentment. The Bible also tells us uh, that we are to be content with what we have. And how many know that's easy to say and hard to do? Isn't that true? I mean, isn't that what the advertising society does for us? Everything is always what? New and improved. Meaning what? You need it. You can't be satisfied. You can't be content with what you have. And so from the earliest times, almost uh, you know, thousands of years ago, People have continued to seek of more things in this world. And we have to admit, especially in America today, we have more things we've ever had, and yet people are less contented than they've ever been. Something is wrong in our hearts. And like I said, it's gone back to the beginning. I mentioned several weeks ago, without a doubt, a certain amount of contentment is okay because that, that's what kind of drives us to have dreams about what the future might hold, uh, something better in our lives, our goal to reach, if you will, and it keeps us working and looking forward to better things in life. 
But what Paul is writing about in his overall idea here in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is a kind of discontentment that is going to lead people in the wrong direction. Now, in light of what a lot of people today think in the church, how many know God didn't save you to make you happy? Come on. That's not the purpose of God in our life. The most important thing in our life is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hands down. So we've been looking at some principles. In fact, we're dealing with four principles to help us uh, overcome this discontent we have in our lives. And again, as has been throughout this series, most of the problems that we have is because of wrong theology. Somehow we have fashioned a God like we want to have, a God who will meet all of our wants, all our desires, make us happy. But my friend, that is not the God of the Bible. Not at all. A couple of things we've already looked at. Number one, first principle is we are where we are by God's assignment. Now, think about that, and we're not going to read them all again, but there in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17 to 24, we see it mentioned three times in those verses, verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24. And Paul says, no matter where you are, lead the life that God has assigned to you. How sad it is in our lives. Somehow, no matter what we have, if we look over there, that looks what? It looks better. The apostle, don't worry about that. Live where God has assigned you. And so we have to remember, and we mentioned this a few weeks ago, the issue here is not our circumstances. The issue is without a doubt God. So number one, we are where we are, but God put us there. Number two, it's not wrong to change. But make sure you understand change is not always an improvement. And we saw that in verses 25 through verse 28. Uh, have you heard the phrase of, of jumping out of the frying pan into the fire? You change, right? But it's certainly not improving. That's not necessarily wrong. But don't con- confuse it and think for sure it's going to be improved. It may not be. And the third thing we looked at already is that we are only pilgrims. Amen. This world is not our home. Now, I have to confess something, okay? Years ago, I I thought I knew what they were saying. But the longer I live, the more thankful I am that this world is not my home. That I've got a better place. A place God's created for me, and that is called heaven. So we're just visiting here on earth. This is not our final home. And we looked at two key phrases uh, number one, Paul said in verse 29, time is short. Uh, number two, uh, the world is passing away. And I remember my first pastor on, on at least one or two occasions, he, he preached on this subject about uh, how time is short and the world is passing away. And one phrase that he used often, don't drive your tent pegs too deep. Amen? Because we're just passing through this world. Now, keep in mind, those who have been blessed with things of the world, certainly we need to make good use of them, use them for God's glory, uh, and use them to further God's kingdom, but simply don't get too attached. 
And then we look at five principles from verses 29 through 31. Uh, first of all, concerning our, our intimate relationships, in verse 29, Paul said, They that have wives be as though they have none. Uh, so Paul said, look, enjoy your marriage, uh, but don't make your marriage the most important thing in your life. Now, again, I know Paul is talking about marriage here, but please understand, if we are going to live a life of contentment, we can't make anything but God the most important thing in our lives. Paul just happened to use the example of marriage. And then in verse 30, he talks about afflictions. Uh, Paul said, if you weep, live your life as though you don't weep. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, life can bring happiness, but life can also bring sadness. Life can bring wealth, or poverty can do that. But Paul said, whatever life brings you away, don't get bound up in those things. Don't let them weigh you down. And whatever you do, Paul says, don't let it keep you from doing the work of God. And then the third principle we learned was about pleasure. Paul said, if you rejoice, rejoice as you don't, as, as rejoice not. Live that way. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't weep. Doesn't mean we shouldn't rejoice and enjoy life. But Paul says, understand, life is more than joy. It's more than sorrow. It's more than marriage. It's more than anything else. Life consists of our walk with God. And then in verse 30, Paul said, if you got money, live as though you didn't have any. Again, don't make it the principle of your life. And then in verse 31, he talks about all other earthly concerns. And Paul said, look, you need to remember, those that use this world as not abusing it, because Paul says the fashion of this world is passing away. So I think the message is clear. We will not be here forever. And so if all we have is wrapped up in this world, we will never be content. We will live a life of discontentment. So I think the overriding principle here tonight is the Bible says to live life to the fullest, enjoy life, take advantage of every moment, but whatever you do, don't indulge yourself so much that your focus is no longer on God. We have to focus on what really matters. So the message is, let's don't be preoccupied with things that don't matter. Figure out what matters in life. Then go and do it. And we've said it over and over again, but I like an old song, this world is not my home. You know why? I'm just passing through. I am just passing through. Now, in light of all that, I want to go back to verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 7. And Paul says this. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives... Be as though they had none. So Paul says, we have to live our lives knowing that our marriage cannot last forever. And we need to live in the light of the day. That one day we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And marriage is temporary blessing at best. And the same goes for raising children. In fact, everything we have in this life except our salvation is temporary. 
Please understand that. Because one day we'll leave it all behind. So Paul reminds us, we came to this world single, and we'll go out single because our marriage ends the moment we leave this life. And so Paul says, look, don't let your marriage give you the final meaning to your life. And so the bottom line is, not only do we need to let our goods go, we've got to be willing to let our kindred go. And so, in a nutshell... Hold lightly what we value greatly because you can't keep it forever anyway. Focus on serving God. And the fourth principle is this. The most important thing in life is to give undivided devotion to the Lord. Look at verse 32. 1 Corinthians 7, we'll read through verse 35. Paul says, but I would not have you without carefulness. I'm sorry, I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. How he may please the Lord. But he that is, I'm sorry, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. How he may please the Lord. Verse 33. But he that is married careth for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. Of course, virgin there meaning an unmarried woman. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit. Not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that ye may attend upon the the Lord without distinction. So without a doubt, our fourth principle comes from verses 32 through 35. And what Paul basically says is that those who are single have freedoms Married people simply don't have. Those who are single can serve the Lord with a lot lot of distractions. But those who are married, they're divided. uh, Because uh, they must give attention to the needs of their spouses. Now, by the way, and they should. Now, let me ask a question. Is God against marriage? No. It was his idea to begin with. And Paul is not against marriage. He's saying, look, I'm just trying to tell you the best thing, okay? If you can stay single, do that. You have an easier time giving your undivided attention uh, to the Lord. So it's not only right that a husband should care for his wife. It's natural also that the wife should concern herself with the needs of the husband. And that's the way marriage works. It's a two-way street. And so both are right. Both are good. and But the energy that's devoted uh, to those responsibilities of marriage certainly uh, could have been devoted to the service of the Lord. And that's all Paul was trying to get across here. You know, you can you can serve God and be married 
Uh, and you can devote yourself to God and be married, but your devotion will be a lot stronger if you stay single. Now, again, let me make sure we understand. Paul is not saying that singleness is more righteous than marriage. Paul is not saying that marriage is less godly than singleness. Because Paul says, without a doubt, you can serve God if you're single. You can serve God if you're married. Paul understood that. And of course, that's why he said earlier, stay where you are. Abide, dwell where God has placed you. And Paul said, understand that. Now, first of all, for those who have been married and are married, you know that marriage is a blessing, but it's also a great responsibility. And marriage carries responsibility of care and concern, uh, responsibility of time and money and prayers and thought and tears and love and energy. All of that is a responsibility of marriage. And to be truly married, it, it means you give yourself unsparingly to your partner, to your spouse. Uh, may I say, if you're a man, your spouse is a woman. Okay? Let me clarify that. And if you're married uh, and you're a woman, your spouse is your husband. You're a man, one man, one woman, right? Okay. Get that out of the way. And, and so Paul said, look. Paul says, if you're single, uh, you can you can give all that to the Lord. You don't have the responsibility of sharing that with your spouse, whoever they, he or she might be. And, and so Paul says, look, take that time and that energy that you enjoy and apply it to the service of others in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the point Paul's trying to make. It's just a lot less hectic trying to live for the Lord if you're single. He says, look, if you're married... Make the most of your time that you can give to God. If you're single, use your time and use your energy to serve the Lord. If you're married, give God thanks for the mate that you have, that God has blessed you with. Pray for them. Encourage them. Build them up spiritually. That's your responsibility. And let your marriage be a part of your service to the Lord, to glorify Him. So Paul is saying this, you are where you are by the sovereign choice of God. By the way, who knows best? God does. Second of all, Paul says, look, you can serve the Lord where you are right now. Thirdly, Paul says, you can glorify the Lord where you are right now. (laughs) But the fourth thing is this. If all we do is complaining about our lot in life, you know who we're complaining against? You remember the, well, no, you do, during the Exodus, and all the time the people of Israel were grumbling and complaining. I told you they were free will bad, but you didn't believe me. (laughs) But really, who were they complaining against? Moses? They were complaining against the Lord. Now, Rick, I know you didn't see my notes, but your song tonight, the question comes down to this. Do we believe God or not? Do we believe God or not?
Do we really believe that God will give us what we need right now so we can serve him right now where we are? Do I believe that? Do you believe that? And I want to say tonight, and and I'm putting myself in this circle. Whenever we complain, whenever our life is filled with discontentment, in one sense, at that point, we are not trusting God. We are simply not trusting God. Now, certainly on one aspect, we, we certainly believe in God. But when we are discontented, we're complaining, we are denying the very truth we, can't, we, we claim to believe. That God is good all the time. Thank you. And he really, really is. And even when we can't do everything we'd like to do, I think the principle is clear. We can joyfully accept our situation and you know, realize that, Lord, that whatever situation I'm in, this is from you. You've appointed it for my life. And no matter what our circumstances are, whether or not it's really what we would like to happen, we can always pray. We can always give God praise. We can always sing in our heart to the Lord. We can always refresh ourselves in the Lord. And all of this comes out of the heart of God. Because he lives within us. I think there's some practical applications tonight. Number one, Paul says, blossom where you planted. Amen. Blossom where you plan. Number two, let God define your life, not your circumstances. Let God define your life. The third application is, don't expect change to make you happy. It could, but it certainly may not make you happy. But the fourth thing is this. We must never, ever forget that we won't be here forever. Quite a few years ago, I I got a book, commentary on the book of Acts, written by a Presbyterian pastor, Lloyd Ogilvy. He served as the chaplain for the Senate for many years, some years ago. And I'll never forget in his introduction. He said, I've learned I can endure anything as long as I know there's an end to it. Good words. Good words. Never forget, we won't be here forever. Four points of application, but I think the second one is probably the most fundamental. Let God define your life. Not your circumstances. Because the bottom line is this. When we fall into the trap of complaining and grumbling, 
unless I miss my guess, I don't think I will. When that happens, we have chosen to allow our circumstances to define our lives. By the way, uh, Jeremy, the song you played before service night, Child of the King. How many are there? we got to remember that. We are children of God. And so when we find ourselves complaining and grumbling, it's because we have made a decision to allow not only our circumstances, but even sometimes our relationships define who we are. Now, if we choose, which is a better way to do it, to let God define who we are, then we can be in good or bad circumstances and still find contentment we want. What did Paul say? I've learned to be content in whatsoever state I'm in. doesn't matter. I know how to abound. I know how to be a base. I know to have. And I know how to go without positive. And I've learned no matter what my circumstances are, I will be content. You know why? Because circumstances did not define Paul's life. God defined his life. So I think the most practical application is do the will of God wherever you are. And the rest will take care of itself. This doesn't mean you won't have difficult times. The Bible doesn't teach that. Doesn't mean you won't have to make hard decisions. Doesn't mean you won't have to walk and travel through some difficult days. The Bible never says that. And it may mean that there'll be Long periods of adversity. But no matter whether it's a long period of time or a short period of time, our only proper response is to get up each day and determine, Lord, I'm going to do your will with your help to the best of my ability. No matter what my circumstances are. And by the way, You ever worry about tomorrow? What does the Bible say about today? Yeah, we got enough to worry about today. And so the Bible says, look, do the best you can for God today. And if we do that, tomorrow will take care of itself. But God will see today. So what's the only thing that matters? Well, the only thing that really matters is knowing Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that matters. Knowing Christ and through Christ, growing closer to God day by day by day, nothing else matters. Now, by the way, I want to say tonight, because we know God through Christ, do you realize how blessed we are? Do you realize we're of all people most blessed and highly favored of God? 
In fact, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and reminds us, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm blessed. I am blessed. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ must be the center of our lives. Or else, no matter what circumstance we're in, good or bad, it will never satisfy. Never satisfy. And I want to tell you something, folks. There's nothing in this world, hear me well, that can replace the longing I have for the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you know, the more you want to know. The more you love him, the more you want to love him. And that longing continues to grow. So as I think about this contentment and the principles principle we've drawn from Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, discontentment is sin for a Christian. It's an attack on the sovereign God who sits on the throne. The God who promised good for those that are called according to his purpose. And by the way, we mentioned back in week one of our series on discontentment. Satan began that deal. He rebelled against God. And whenever we complain against God, we are repeating Satan's mistake. And how many know you can't win? You simply can't win. We will, we will lose that battle just like Satan did. Again, I think this whole thing boils down to a theological issue. Because a lot of times, it, yeah, the fact of the matter is we really don't know who God is. We have Americanized God. We have developed a God who's sympathetic. One writer said he was democratic and eager to make us happy. We have developed a God who adjusts his plans to fit our needs. So that we can have personal fulfillment. But my friend, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God of the Bible. First of all, the God of the Bible is not democratic. I have read through the scriptures, and many of you have it well, quite a few times. And I have yet to find a place where God called a business meeting. God's not democratic, he's autocratic. God is a divine despot who does what? Whatever he pleases. Whatever he pleases. As a creator... God has the final word 
been several years ago now. I don't know if Paul Wheeler remembers that he came to me one evening or one day at church. Not sure, morning or evening. And he made a statement about when God says he puts a period behind it. How many know he has the authority to do that? He is the sovereign God. This universe is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. This universe is actually a divine monarchy. And I'm still waiting. I've been saved at least 20 years. And you know what? He's never given me a vote. Never. Never asked my opinion on anything. He's never <coughs> surveyed the people on the street. So what does that mean? That means if the Lord says come, what do we do? We come. We come. If the Lord says go, I need you there. What do we do? We must obey. Don't fight it. Don't complain. He is the master. I'm convinced that in America we've made salvation cheap and easy. It's free, but it's not cheap. And I do not believe the Bible teaches an easy believism. True salvation means we come to a place in our life, we've confessed our sins, we have to do that, confess with our mouth, believe in our heart. Very important. But there has to be a time when we say, and we mean it, Jesus Christ is my Lord. He is my Lord. And if we are truly surrendered to the Lord, if we have a right concept of lordship, we will say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's not my co-pilot. He's my Lord. I need to come to a place in my life where I acknowledge that Christ has the absolute absolute right not to part of my life, but to all of my life. Come to a place in my life, Lord, I will do what you say. Jesus said his sheep know his voice. They hear his voice. I need to come to a place in my life where I realize that God has the unchallenged right to direct everything in my life. Now, by the way, he does whatever he wants, but it's always for our good and his glory. Always. 
No wonder Paul said, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to him. I don't know how long it took me in my Christian life to learn some things. I'm still learning, by the way. But there came a time in my Christian life I had to realize my bank account belongs to him. My investments are his. My calendar is his. My home is his. My family is his. My marriage is his. My children and my grandchildren belong to him. But most of all, my future is his. We were not created to be independent. Not at all. We must serve someone. And we have to make a choice. How many know if you're a child of God, you've been bought with a price? The blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we sang it earlier, he paid it all. He paid it with his own blood. He gave everything to set me free from sin. So, Lord, am I going to spend my time serving you? Or will I spend my time complaining? Let's stand together. The only way, the only way to be free is to yield ourselves. To him. As long as we try to live our lives demanding what we want, demanding freedom to do whatever we want, we will always be in chains. We will never be content. If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Father, we're thankful tonight for your goodness and for your mercy. I pray, Lord, that you would...